0: The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for joining us here on the Paul Leslie Hour. And today I'm joined by B Earl Six. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him and then you're going to meet him. He is a songwriter and a producer. He is the son of the late Big Earl Sinks, which I am positive every one of you have, has heard that man's voice, and we became acquainted with one another through a past guest on this show, Buzz Raven, which was very well received, and the Earl Sinks and I have been corresponding, and it's a pleasure to welcome him. Mr. Sinks, how are you?
1: Oh, thank you. I'm... I am doing well. I am I mean I can't complain. I mean if I did nobody would really care anyway, but I'm doing good. <laughs> How about <laughs> I, you? Oh,
0: I'm doing well. And V Earl, you hang your hat in Tennessee.
1: I do. Where um, were you born? I I was born here in Nashville. Okay. Uh I was uh, yeah, I'm actually a native and then I would I would frequently move back and forth between Nashville and in Texas. And, I see. Uh, a lot of friends, uh, even when my family, when my mother and father lived in Texas, I would uh, once in a while I'd take a break and I'd drive down to Brownwood, down to Sonny, down to Clark Morton's house and hang out with him for a couple of days and see if we couldn't write something and, and he'd give me a break away from the from the farm out there. But uh, I'd known Sonny ever since dad was running UA. United Artists and him and Del Reeves and all of them were, at you know, on the UA board together. So I was lucky. I I got to know a lot of writers over the years, and that's where I kind of took to lean toward that side. I didn't like the administration of publishing, end, although Dad wanted me to go to Belmont to uh, when Don Gamp was running it. To uh, where I would know more than. And just the average songwriter wouldn't be taken advantage of by other companies if I was writing for them. Which would be smart, but, but, uh, now the way things are, it's non, uh, it's null and void anything that I'd learned back then, because man, the streaming and download and publishing has changed a lot. Very true.
0: Now tell all the listeners out there, how would they know your father?
1: Oh, Lord. Well, he started out as a, as a solo artist, but he was he was also one of the crickets. You know, he started out with Bob Wills when he was 12 because my my grandmother's cousin was Sleepy Johnson, who was with, with Bob Wills. And Bob had his headquarters there in in the Panhandle. So dad would work the summers. And then his dad was a guitar player and, and singer with the Light Crush Doughboys. And so uh, it just, you know, all of them, played. my His sisters were the Gold Dust Twins. I mean, they all played the instruments, but uh, Dad, and I think Dad and Tommy also met when Dad was working with, with Bob during the summers, but even after Buddy quit the band, Dad's the one who took lead. He did things like I Fought the Law Along, Love Made a Fool of You, and Someone, Someone, and things of that nature. And then after Buddy's death, him and Bob Montgomery moved to Nashville, where he did Man, he, he played either played or sang on over sixty percent of all the sessions in Nashville. Wow. And, yeah. Wesley Rose, he'd be writing for A. F Rose, but Boy Wesley and them, they'd use him on every artist that was on Hickory. So but he did all of Mel Tillis's, Del Reeves, Lord just Mel Street, did all their harmony on on almost all their records for years and years.
0: So he was an actor.
1: Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, he did three films: "Girl from the Back of the Road," "White Lightning Road," and uh, "That Tennessee Beat." At the time, after while doing these movies, he was running a Ace of Heart Records where he was producing John Anderson, Wild Bill Emerson, and a bunch of people. And they wanted him to do "Walking Tall," and he thought it was going to be just another B film, and he turned it down. And he said, "Out of all the films, that was the one he should have done." You know. <laughs> But I remember seeing him at the drive-in when I was little. It, we'd be going out to Amarillo to tour home and see one at the drive-in. It's kind of cool. Absolutely. What would you but, say
0: was the <laughs> biggest lesson that you learned from your father?
1: Oh, uh, stick with one name. <laughs> he, <laughs> there's, a, there's a bootleg album out called The Man with a Thousand Names. And it's because every time he would change record labels, they would change his name. So he'd be... Earl Henry on on Dodd or Earl Sinks on Decca and then Earl Richards on one you know and so or Sinks Mitchell and so he they kept just changing his name on on different <laughs> every time he changed a label so there's that and after school sessions with Earl Sinks but that also has the Crickets and the Omegas because after the Crickets him and Nora Wilson and Bill Fernandez were the Omegas on Decca opening up with Tony Bennett.
0: Wow. So your father sang the lead on I Fought the Law.
1: Yeah. On I Fought the Law and Love Made a Fool of You. It uh, it released in, I think it was 59. It was on the Complete Crickets first album, or In Style of the Crickets was the first album. And then they had the Complete Crickets, and now it's been on a lot. They've got it on several different compilation albums, Buddy Holly tributes and everything else. They'll have Earl on there, and sometimes it's listed as Holly. There was a gentleman in uh, California that uh, he he tracked Dad down because he listened to the crickets, someone, someone, every day through Vietnam and everything. And he was a big. uh, He's the one who created the the solo button on the engineering board, and he's all the sound. But his name is Woody Norris and he thought that it was uh, buddy and, and so he got in touch with son, Sonny Curtis and he said no that was Earl so he flew in to meet dad because he had listened to him every day since the 70s which uh, my mother because her and dad had divorced and remarried each other three times mother <laughs> said he had more consistency with dad than she did you know hmm <laughs> well tell us a bit about your mother Okay, well, Lord, she uh, she started with her parents on the hayride, you know, back when she was just like four or five years old. Since she first first started, you know, and then they came up from from the hayride with Lonzo and Oscar, and grandmother and granddaddy were doing, you know, working with with them and cousin Jody and them, and their good friend Martha Carson took mother to uh to Fred Rose. And so she started recording, and Martha wrote her first single, Wait a Little Longer, which uh, the Drifting Cowboys was the band, and Mother was awarded Hank Williams' guitar with her first session with, with MGM on Wait a Little Longer at seven years old. She was the youngest member to the Opry at that time.
0: Fascinating. Yeah. So tell us, Be Your Old, when did you start to write songs
1: well, that sounded like something. <laughs> I guess around 17, 18, I was I was still in school, but I was uh, I was running with a lot of the people that uh, that used to write for Dad. I was kind of like a mascot, but I started, uh, you know, writing with, with this one or that one, you know, and, and running around with people like Doby and, and and David Chamberlain and all these different ones. And so uh, I first started, got my first writing deal with Tammy Wynette in 1988. I was working for Doc Holiday catering service along with Gary Sefton, who also was one of Dad's writers. And uh, it had so many, I think he's had over a hundred cuts by different artists. But he and, and Virginia Story, Gordon Terry's, I mean, uh, yeah, Virginia Terry, Gordon's wife, she worked there with us at Doc's and I would drop a, a cassette if I was delivering food to a Music Row, I'd just drop a tape into the lunch bag that I was delivering it to because I wanted to do it on my own. I didn't want anyone to do it based on grandmother and granddaddy or mother or you know, I mean, Lord, my uncle Johnny or the Leavins, you know, because we were all kin. So I wanted to do it on my own and lo and behold they called me. They liked the songs and had me come and uh, I started writing for her in 88 so that was fun and doing package shows with her, with Tammy Wynette and Billy Joe Spears and Tommy Cash and David Allen Cole doing package Hmm. shows.
0: Fascinating. What was Tammy Wynette like to work
1: around her? She was a sweetheart. She was a sweetheart. You know because she had also because they they knew dad and and grandmother and granddaddy and everything I was kind of brought him with welcome arms but uh and me and her daughter tina went out you know we'd go hang out together and uh i knew georgette george was george was really uh man he'd, he'd get on us about writing sad country songs me and a friend of mine we, that was really what i was what i've been able every cut i've ever had most of them are sad songs <laughs> and so uh, he said man y'all get in there and Y'all, you're not getting your draw until you can come out with one with a happy song. And so we sit in there in, the, in that room, and about three hours later, we came out with a song called "Not One Happy Song." So <laughs> George and Tammy just threw their hands up and said, "Well, whatever, you're gonna, you know, write what you write." And so that was kind of cool. I, I was working, I was writing with Mark Gray back then over at Tammy's. You and remember Mark I- Gray that was with Excel?
0: I don't know that writer,
1: no. Yeah, he was a singer also. He was part of Exile. Then he was a solo artist. But uh, he was a really cool guy. Now,
0: hmm. yeah, you just said a moment ago a lot of your cuts or all of your cuts are sad songs. Why hmm. do you think that
1: is? Well, I'm a guy that, that used to stay at the house a lot that I'd run around with. Mickey Newberry was probably one of the most sad, saddest writers I've ever met, you know, and uh, he and Tommy Collins were two of, two of my best friends and influential writers that, that I loved the, their style, but I don't know, it was an outlet for me, instead of uh, you know, going through the emotions and, and you know, go through a breakup and, and cry and drink I figured I would just write about it and save myself the pain and the money <laughs> <laughs> well put. <laughs> you know, even the up-tempo's that are, even the things that were up-tempo were still, if you listen to the lyrics, were kind of sad. There was a thing on the Reningtons on B&A and uh, that me and two of the other of the, the members of the band, Rick Yancey and, and Richard Renegra, that we wrote that was on the Blue Frontier album called When Love at First Sight Goes Blind. At the time, I was trying to get Jimmy to ride with us and, and Jimmy didn't, he just thought it sounded kind of corny and he didn't really, didn't see it and so me and Richard and Rick got together and we finished writing it and we called Jimmy in Memphis and he demanded to sing lead on it and he said, well, from now on, anything alright but without me, I get to sing lead on so, you know, that was pretty cool and, and, you know, me and Rick still write together after all these years
0: What do you think is the most important thing to keep in mind when you're writing a song?
1: uh write what you know write your your life experiences what whatever you know you've been through because it's going to come off a lot a lot better gary gentry that is a great songwriter he he wrote the ride and the corvette and a bunch of stuff and and uh he was uh one of my friends we used to write together and i asked him what uh how to get a hit and he said you try to get as close to the, the word you, you shouldn't use without the kids knowing what you're talking about, and you'll have a hit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so I thought, well, there you go. And me and Jimmy and Rick was right together. You know, we have a song called I'll Take Up, where he takes off that uh, is, is really cool. I don't know. I just, I kind of went toward the sad songs because it was a way to express myself without... Uh, you know, just going through it for forever. But yet I still write about the same ones that that caused that years ago, so, you know.
0: Earlier in the interview you mentioned going over and and being around Sonny Throckmorton. Mm Mm-hmm. What songwriter would you say has taught you the most about songwriting? Oh, man.
1: Actually, i I would have to say it was probably Buzz and, and, and Rick were probably two of the most people that, that taught me prolifically how to put something in a way that, uh, will come across a lot better than, than, you know, using a, a particular word or whatever. And, and I, wow. And because they, uh, are both so much alike and we wrote a great song together that uh... We, matter of fact we just I had Buzz give it to Cannon not too long ago that me and Rick and Buzz wrote called I Still See Her Leaving but uh... those are probably two of the main ones cause me and Buzz would run off together we'd be gone missing for a week or two and people would be calling me wondering where he is because they knew I was either with him or knew where he was at and we'd go down to <laughs> Alabama or we'd go somewhere and and stay in his trailer and write. At one point, there was a time when me and, and Rick and four other riders were all living in the same condo that ble- belonged to one of the crickets, Joe B. Malden. He owned it, and uh, we all lived there together. And so there was constantly someone riding every day. I mean, we wrote every single day because we all lived there together, and we'd all get our draw at the same time. And so then, middle of the month, when everyone was broke, and we'd be watching cooking shows for dinner you learn to write some (laughs) real sad songs when you're hungry
0: interesting I
1: bet (laughs) and I love rock. you know I loved loved my mother and dad sing on his songs on his records and and dad would and and, uh, I remember going to his house back in the 70's and so I've known him a long time I'm
0: glad you brought up Buzz Rabin he's a very entertaining person to talk to he doesn't seem to, to think so sometimes about himself you know, he, oh, did such know. A, he did such a great interview for the show and then you know he called me later and, and said something about how he was rambling on which I don't think he was but tell us well, who who is the real Buzz Raven
1: <laughs> oh wow uh, <laughs> because his son is helping me redo my kitchen I want to be careful with this one You know, Buzz is, is, he's one of those people, you know, he's like Bud Renault. The the longer you know him and the more you realize the things that he's done. And also being around him without even realizing, even when I was little, when he was writing for Mel's office, Dad would come in. He'd be singing on something that Buzz wrote, that Mel recorded. And, you know, and so it it was kind of a, a weird way that me and him wound up running together he is probably one of the most entertaining and you know we i talked to him for about an hour today on the phone this morning and we were talking about a songwriters (laughs) festival that that we did and here in nashville and it was one of the first songwriter festivals they had in nashville well me and him had been run up we'd been up and roaring for about three days and with, with no sleep this lady asked me to speak, be one of the speakers at the Songwriters Festival. I couldn't tell you one word that I said to those poor guys, but apparently they just <laughs> thought it was the most hilarious thing they'd ever heard. And so that night, me and Earl Clark were, were closing out the, the whole week festival, doing a show, me and him and Buzz, you know, and uh, but the funniest thing I tell you what is, is when me and Buzz first started writing together back in the late 1900s, we were out at a place called Bell Cove in Hendersonville and Paul, you'd have to know the club, I mean where we were at there was like a in, in the back where they would have like tables for, for the restaurant and then you had the whole dance floor in the front stage well they were doing a writers night and this guy got up there and he told everyone he was a bass player by nature but he always wanted to write songs and so this is what he was going to do And so he started to sing and not being jaded but being raised around, you know, writers and everything, I, he was terrible. And uh, and I I didn't want to say anything and, and it seemed like I was being snooty in front of my new friend, Buzz Raven. So I didn't say much and I went to take a drink and about the time as I was drinking a sip of that margarita, Buzz said, man, he ought to keep playing bass so he could starve in spurts. Well, <laughs> I got so tickled I got choked, and it went down the wrong way, and I started coughing. Well, Buzz was going he was going through training to be a nurse, as if his wife was a nurse, but he realized that I was no longer just laughing, but I was turning blue and, and choking, so he tried to get behind me to do the Mahomet maneuver to get me to breathe, and I was trying to get him off of me, and he kept grabbing me, so all of a sudden... All you see is me and him, with him behind me, doing the bunny hop all the way out the front door of this club, and everything (laughs) stopped. The singer stopped. You could have heard a pin drop except me choking to death. And everybody watching him just kind of bunny hop behind me all the way out the door. And I don't think we went back for like 15 years. But... (laughs) but it was was the funniest thing because then we'd go to a club and if someone was bad Buzz would say hey man you know we can put a stop to this and I'm like oh no this is a good watering hole I'm not doing that but uh, I tell you he's he's been he was like it was like being able to hang out with my father and do the things that I wanted to do with him that he had already was at a point where he was doing producing and doing everything else and everybody you know knew him it was you know it was like a connection there
0: tell us bero what song of yours do you consider your best song if it's
1: possible to pick i think it would have to be well it's one that me and hoss wrote called pieces of love and we almost had it cut on the uh big well, little river band almost cut it but they decided at the last minute but that in in the meantime which in the meantime i wrote with my cousin kathy Levin who was our Lubin's daughter. And my my Aunt Faye, my grandmother's sister was married to Ira of the Lubin brothers. And so, uh, but Kathy had a bunch of hits and me and her wrote a song called In the Meantime, which we had Clinton Gregory come in and sing a demo on. Well, in 2009 or 10, he went in, he put a little more fiddle on it and he released it as a single. And it was Clinton's first single, after 13 years or something like that and it debuted on the independent charts at at 10 and then stayed at number three and number two for almost six months just on the independent charts and on the internet radio and all the different stations and it was kind of his comeback song that uh, me and Kathy did and when we wrote it Clinton told me anytime I had a song that I wanted him to sing on all I had to do was call and tell him because he loved it so much hmm
0: now I'm going to put you on the spot. All right. <laughs> Would you sing a line from "In the Meantime" for our listeners?
1: Uh, uh Uh. I I guess I could. <laughs> when promises get swift, need the jealous heart, and foolish pride moves in, tear a world apart. Walls go up as we come down To nothing left to say But hateful things as our love slips away But in the meantime The cold in between times We walk such a fine line Between your heart and mine Darling we can't let this go on who cares who's right or wrong? We should be loving up a storm in the meantime. Yeah, all right. Great yeah. song. It, it, oh, thank you. It, uh, that double entendre, you know, of in the mean times when you're not getting along, and and during those times you should be able to, you know? hmm. So kind of a double entendre on that. So I'm not used to singing without an instrument. And, I've got everything it's packed. Right. I've got everything packed away.
0: It's quite all right. So, uh, and I enjoyed it, and I also I appreciate you doing that. I know I put you okay. on the spot, but yeah,
1: man. You know, I was always afraid. I I would watch my parents and my grandparents, which my grandmother, granddaddy. You know, you, they were Ferlin and and cousin Jody and Marty Robbins and everyone, and their harmonies were so great. Them and, and mothers. I was always afraid to sing in front of them. And, uh, until I started getting a little older but because uh, it's just it was too much to try to live up to <laughs> hmm.
0: Would you say that your confidence has grown though?
1: It has it has and I went in and cut a couple of things before my dad passed just for him one was a, a song that I wrote I think I put it on my Facebook whatever called Cowboys and Guitars and then one of his that he wrote The Everly's Cut but uh... me and Buzz, I'm. He's talking about going out and doing doing shows again. We were talking about going out there and, and roaming the, the roads together again after all these years, and and uh, doing our music and having fun at it, and, as well as uh, with Mel Jr. You know.
0: How does that strike you, the idea of doing? That?
1: Oh, wonderful! I don't know. I mean, last time I went out with with uh, Mel. Jr. my mother didn't even know i was out of town i called her well she called me she said what are you doing and i said i'm just eating some breakfast she said where are you at and i said i have no idea she said what are you talking about and i said i'm at some state and she said who are you with and i told her and she was like oh no she said well just tell sonny boy to remember there was a reason why me and your daddy divorced three times you know because i asked her why what why she took him back that last time, and she said it was because Mel lost him in the settlement. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Wow. What's in
0: the future for Bero Six? What do you have coming? Up?
1: Well, man, it's funny you should say that because Dad left me. He and Herb Gibson were some of the were two of the first ones who to start your midline product. You know, like in in discount stores. And so he he would buy and sell masters, even if it you know, besides producing of of everybody in the world. And so I've got he left me a whole master catalog from everyone, from Lord Jimi Hendrix to Patsy Klein to Ch- Ray Charles and everything that has just been sitting for years and years and so I brought in Bud Bernal, the songwriter my my partner and our attorney huh. as a third into the catalog and I've reopened El Dorado and so we're figuring out how to get these all these things back out there again and, and present them to the you know to a new generation and that's that's probably one of my focuses and even the stuff that, that you know I went in and with Jimmy Griffin and, and recut 15 of Brett's Greatest Hits that just sitting there that i need to go in and, and remix and, and get out and then a thing that dad did on mark denning of 40 years of love songs that i went in remixed to put out and so i'm just uh i don't know i'm and i'm doing stand-up everyone always was after me about doing stand-up comedy even buzz you go, man you're missing your calling you know and and i told him for years I, I would have but I was just afraid everybody would laugh <laughs> but yeah so and that's what me and Buzz were talking about you know as I'd open up for him and tell some stories or whatever and then introduce him and he'd do his thing and we'd do some of our songs and then just on to the next one I want to be able to enjoy what I have time left I have with my family with my mother she's a big part of of my life you know and, Lord, when I look at all the things in her career, I mean, besides being a, an artist, and she also played auto harp on Patsy Klein albums and Neil Young and everything, and she's been my probably my number one spiritual growth as far as my my you know reading reading my Bible and and praying. Has probably been my mother's influence of all things. So I like uh, I like spending time with the family, but you know with everything dad left she just gave it all to me to take care of and to take care of them and so that's what i'm doing tell us a little bit more about
0: that how how is the prayer finding its way in your life and, and helping you
1: oh man it always has i mean i was born with so many medical problems and uh, thyroid and heart and everything but uh as I got older, and I was running with people like Billy Nelson and Greg Allman, and I was partying and abusing my nasal passages and things back in the day, <laughs> she knew. She'd tell me, but she'd always pray for me. And as I got older, and I started watching my friends die, I started relying on on what she was saying to me more than just my mother getting on to me. All of a sudden, she was, uh, you know, introducing me to to music even that uh, of gospel stuff that I never was a big gospel fan until she turned me on to a certain person or whatever but uh when my father was, was passing three years ago I was in the process of trying to buy this house that I'm now trying to get out of I didn't realize how bad it was but we were staying up there and God had us right there where he wanted us to be. We thought we were going to close in five days and it was three months and so we were right there helping take care of him, and then helping her with the adjustment. And she's only 8 miles away, and we make sure that we talk at least once a day, or she sees my face at least twice a week, if we can, you know. I go up and mow the yard for her, and we go and have breakfast. And You know, she's my spiritual rock that if I have a question, I can go to, and, and she usually knows the scripture to tell me to look up. That's wonderful.
0: What is the best thing about being
1: B Earl Six? Oh man, man! If I if I knew that, I'd have a nicer house. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know anybody that'd want to steal my identity. You know, but I don't know. I think <laughs> having having been raised the way I was with with all the music around us, and and, and I wish I'd. Had, when I was little, had recorded them sitting around in the den and things of that nature. But to have all the memorabilia and and the films and pictures that that no one has ever seen of like Jimmy Dickens and them and Mother Maybelle sitting in the house playing and just having the world of, of people that I've gotten the luxury to be around and know like Tommy Collins and Mickey Newberry and Throckmorton, and, but and you know, all these people. I would have never known them had it not been for my parents and my grandparents. And my grandfather was Loretta Lynn's agent. He ran Wilhelm, but granddaddy, everybody everybody knew Smiley Wilson as one of the kindest people in the industry. And my grandmother was known as the one that would just say just about anything. And so that's probably where I get a lot of my humor from is my grandmother, because she, uh, she definitely had a sense of humor. She was known as the queen of the one-liners at the Opry, you know, and mm. it's funny, I got i got pictures of where Farron had signed to mother and grandmother, you know, Rita, I love you so much, and this, that, and the other Farron, and then the picture, when I was running with Farron, said, to Brandon, you're full of, you know, but I love you, Uncle Farron, <laughs> you know, so, it, <laughs> it does it. you know, it's funny how the relationships change, but... Uh, I think that's the best part of being me is is the family that I that I got to grow up in.
0: I always like to close the interview by giving the guest the microphone, and this doesn't have to be limited just to music. What would you say so, to anyone
1: who's tuned in? Uh oh, do what you love to do, no matter what it is. Don't you know? Don't. Do something just because it's a paycheck that gets you from week to week. Do what your passion is because life is too short to do anything that you don't like to do. And if, if, if you find a way just to, to achieve it on a daily basis, make one step toward whatever your goal is that your dream is. Make that step each day until you're able to do your dream and it, make it to where you can live the life that you want to live but life is too short to, to just muddle through and, and hope and hope for the best when there's something that in your heart you know you should be doing.
0: very well put. Well, thank you. may I call you little Earl? Absolutely <laughs> Little Earl thank you very much for being a guest on the show.
1: Thank you so much for asking.
0: It's my pleasure. Thank All right, you, sir. sir. Until next we, time. Yes, sir. You have a blessed day. And same to you. Thank you, sir. Bye, bye. The poppy, pop pop, do not chi ba loop di keys <laughs> on the goosey at the castle get a lock a pin. I say be like a two, can't Goodbye.